Hey, this is Rags Morales, and you're listening to the Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have the Master Disaster, Josh45. Yo, yo. And CBS. Hi. Uh, see, today we're going to be doing episode number 160. And today we're going to be going over a bunch of indie books. So, uh, starting out, we're going to have Deep Beyond number one from Image Comics. And then we have, uh, White Lily number one, which is from Red Five Comics. Then Berserker number one, which is from Boom. Scout's Honor number one, which is from Aftershock. And we'll wrap it up with Noctera number one, uh, also from Image Comics. Uh, before we start that though, we'll take a little, we got a little bit of news. So, what's in the news, Josh? What's in the news, CBS? There you go. Um, so, as far as, like, things, news-wise, for those of you that remember the Inferior 5 that was happening at DC Comics back in 2019, um, that book, that only had the first four issues come out and then just stopped, number five has got a digital release, and number six is expected to get a digital release. So, at some point, we might see it return to print for the last two issues of the series. Chances are, the real reason that is, is because somebody over there realized Peacemaker's in that storyline, and since they're giving him his own, I guess, TV show, and he's part, he's one of the main characters in Suicide Squad 2, or just Suicide Squad? The Suicide Squad, that's the difference. The James Gunn one. Apparently they decided that they're going to finish the book, which is weird, because it was 2019 when they started it, so, like, it wasn't a pandemic cut, it was just cut. So I guess we'll see if they finish the last two books and print them. Um, I mean, that's interesting. Uh, people who are working on it was Jeff Lemire and uh, Keith Giffen. So, like, Lemire's a good writer. I mean, Giffen, art-wise, take him or leave him, but interesting that at this point they decided to do something with it, considering how long it's been defunct or canceled. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, outside of that, and this is, this is kind of cool, so uh, Lady Mechanica is going to be moving over to Image Comics. So Joe Benitez will be uh, moving his uh, creator-owned character to Image Comics, and we're going to see reprints of the backlog, so the first five volumes, now with the Image moniker, so they're going to become available again and be re-released again. Um, all this is going to be kicked off in August, where he's doing another printing of the Free Comic Day issue one, Lady Mechanica, which will also include a preview for the next series. So the first series that's going to come out that's just an image release version of it is titled uh, The Monsters of the Ministry of Health. And it's H-E-L-L-T-H. And it's supposed to have something to do with her backstory. So like it's set to clear up some pieces of her uh, haunted past. So that should be pretty cool. I mean, Lady Mechanic of fans or followers will know that we've got little pieces of her history. So if this particular book is supposed to be about more of that, that's really cool. Um, it's interesting that Joe's decided to move over to Image. So it means the book came from Aspen Comics to Joe Benitez Press, his own imprint, now to Image. Um, in an interview that I was reading, he said that uh, this way he could focus more on the books and less on the publishing side, which makes a lot of sense. So I think that's really cool, and maybe it'll give him a different audience. You know, people have never heard of it before, just because it's uh, an imprint that is something that they are familiar with, you know? So that should be really cool. 
at this point, we're saying Free Comic Day is going to be in August, so I guess we'll see if that holds true when we get to August. But, uh, yeah, if you're a Lee Mechanica fan, I guess it's going to be a, a few more months before anything new comes out, but at this point, at least there's plans for new stuff to come out and move forward, which is really cool. Um, the only other thing I knew knows... New, no, nah, nah, nah. The only other thing I know news-wise is apparently DC is in the process of building something for Our Man. So JSA Our Man is in development for some type of show, I guess. Nope, movie. Is it a movie? Yep. So they told, they've wanted to do a movie for ages, or a show for... They tried to squeeze him into the Arrowverse somehow, and it never worked out, so they're working on a movie now. So that's cool. Our Man's an interesting character. Well, like, so the ones that, like, technically slated for this year are, um, Suicide Squad 2, um, and then, but next year, they have The Flash, The Batman, and Aquaman 2 for 2021. For 2021 or 2022? Uh, 2022. And then, uh, 2023, the only one slated as far as Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and then, um... DC and WB are hard at work on long titles at Black Adam and Blue Beetle as well, but they haven't given release dates necessarily for those yet, I don't think. I thought they said Black Adam would be 2023, but I don't know yet. I, don't, I didn't see. Sure. It doesn't say in this article. Uh-huh. I'm looking at. But um, the guy that's supposed to... It's going to be written by Gavin James and Neil Widener, who uh, previously worked on San Andreas 2, Now You See Me 3. No. I don't, that's not really... <laughs> okay. They're the ones that are supposed to be working on Our Man? Yeah. Okay, well, I guess we'll see. Uh, you know, I think Our Man's an interesting character. So he's... Rex Tyler was the original, but like this is supposed to be um, Rick Tyler's, the one, the son, who's the most widely known. Right. And they said that it might actually include the uh, alternative universe um, Android version, Matthew Tyler as well. Okay, well... That's the Android version. Of yeah, the Android version of Our Man. Yeah, okay, I guess we'll... So. That's interesting. I guess we'll, guess we'll see. It's still got a few years on it, so... Yeah, we'll see where it goes. Right, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, interesting stuff, so... Yeah, that's kind of cool. That's pretty much all I really had, though, like, and news-wise. Venom 2's release date has been delayed to September. September 2021? That's what it says. All right. Um, I guess it was supposed to come out in July, initially. So you just moved it back a few months? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Maybe they're waiting to see if uh, things open up a bit more, give it a little bit more sure. theater time. So Makes sense. But September 17th. All right. It's not horrible. As far as dates are concerned, at least there's a date for it, so that's cool. Should be the Carnage movies. That should be interesting. That's it. That's it. That's it, man. All right. Well, I guess if uh, that's all we got news-wise, that's yeah, it's basically where I'm at. I don't, you know, there's some com- other comic book announcements. Maybe we're moving into Heroes Reborn here in a couple more months for Marvel. So we're doing that again. Um, it does look pretty cool. It's an interesting setup. Like. Whatever has caused the world to be what it is, the Avengers never became a thing. Tony Stark never built the Iron Heart, and as a result, since there were no Avengers, no one ever found Captain America. Uh, because there's no Avengers, Thor never fell for Jane Foster and never decided to like humanity, and then we move forward. So there's still plenty of other heroes around, but they basically have decided that they, um, 
the uh, group is going to fill in as Earth's Mightiest Avengers is a Squadron Supreme. So Hyperion and Blur, the the evil Justice League, basically what they are in normal comics. Uh, this batch of stuff, they're they're more anti-hero now than they are villains, really. I mean, Hyperion's kind of gone good, and as a result, a few of the other ones have too. So. This version of the world, though, there was never an Avengers team, so they wind up being Earth's Mightiest Heroes, and that's the premise for things unfolding. Uh, the only person that knows the truth is Blade, the vampire hunter. And apparently, somehow, he has memories of the other universe, I guess, is what the write-ups were saying. So I guess we'll see what that is. It's going to be seven-part series total. There's some cool new costume designs. Uh, we're getting a uh, Dr. Juggernaut, which looks very Doom Juggernaut-like, so he looks cool. Which one of them is in the suit? No idea. I assume it's Dr. G- Dr. Doom with the Sidorak gem, but it, there's not enough out to know that. But there's a couple of test pictures by Ed McGinnis, so they look amazing. But I think those will be kind of cool. I mean, that's the next wave of Marvel event stuff, so we'll see. That's pretty much all there is about that that I, you know, that I know. There's a batch of one-shots, and we are getting it. Oh, there's one more thing. This is kind of crazy. Um, so if you guys haven't tried it yet, Google Spider-Gwen. Heroes Reborn, because her costume is like straight-up Batgirl. It's pretty crazy. I mean, it looks good, but it's it looks like a Batgirl costume. So yeah, it, there's there's that too. So, I guess we'll see. But yeah, with, after that, I guess, let's move into books. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. So the first book we got for the night is going to be uh, Deep Beyond. And this one's from Image Comics. Uh, it's created by uh, Marika Andolfo and David Goy. And art by Andrea Bricardo. Uh, this is issue one. Uh, when we first open up, we're uh, inside some type of a sealed room with a bunch of crazy tentacles on the wall. And there's a person's hand laying there with all these crazy bubbles on it. And we hear this hissing noise. And uh, the uh, explanation of where we're at tells us we're deep in the North Atlantic Ocean near Washington, D.C. And we've got a lady who's sort of dressed in a party dress, um, who's got a hold of a CB radio, and she's trying to send a message. And uh, she she first she first starts out with a mayday, mayday, you know, like, distress signal. And she starts explaining how uh, this is probably her last message, because something's happened. The safeguard on the ship is given out, and at this point... She's not sure exactly why it's happened, but uh, the infection is spread inside to the crew members, and she appears to be the only one left alive. Um, then she starts, as she's leaving the message, she says, Do you remember when we were children? And she starts talking about visiting the clover fields, and the last time that she really talked to whoever she's leaving this message for. From there, she's like, I was too proud to, I have a lot of regret for leaving you there. And at that point, we hear a whole lot more hissing, and all of a sudden, we see a crack in this giant window, and on the other side of the window, it's like a crazy squid-faced, glowy-eyed monster thing. And she screams, and uh, we hear the uh, the window crack. From there, we jump to earlier that day, or the day after, excuse me, the day after. And uh, we got this little kid being led, led around by a couple guys in, like, the suits, and the kid's like, ah, oh, you guys don't have to follow me up here. It's, this is going to be fine. You, you guys don't need to tag along. And uh, one of them tells him, well, it's our job. It's our job to watch you and keep you safe. And 
he's like, oh, man, all right, that's fine, whatever. And so they get to these doors where they're, getting, they're going to enter, and there's two military-type guys outside of it. And uh, the kid gives him, gives one, one of the guards an invitation. He's like, oh, all right. In you go, kid. And so they open the doors, and the kid walks in, and the two security guards go to go with him, and both the military men stop him. And the kid kind of laughs it off. Ha <laughs> ha. Take your break, guys. Enjoy your break. I'm going to be fine. This party's totally protected. And we wind up finding out this is the son of the current president. And uh, he thinks it's real funny that he ditched his attache. And the two military guys outside, well, I mean, they seem to be in charge. And there are military guys inside the party. Along with a bunch of younger, like, teen adolescent types dressed as if it's like a high school prom. Um, so in he walks and we find his name is Tim. And Tim goes and meets the girl who's, uh, throwing the party, and she's like, oh, I'm so glad you can make it. Take take a look at all these great caviar and, and treats and stuff. Get yourself some champagne. I've got to go make an announcement. I'm so glad you're here, and she's all lovey-huggy on him. And then she goes up to the stage and starts talking to the microphone, and how she's so happy her friends can gather, and how they really want to make a difference in the world. And as she's, like, giving her thanks for coming to my party speech, partway through, it starts getting kind of dark, like, talking about the fallout of the world, and how... All the adults don't seem to care about the same way that the kids do. And then she pulls out a video camera and she starts recording. And she pulls Tim up on stage to show everybody that the, the president's son's there. And then uh, she tells everyone to get ready. And she starts counting down, like three, two, leading to one. And as she starts the countdown, all of a sudden these kids in the party pull out knives and start stabbing all the different soldiers. Just killing the heck out of them. It turns into bloodbath pretty quick. As the military guys are trying to get away, of course, they try to get the president's son also. And then, in the process of all this, all of a sudden, one of the men looks up and he says, The roof's opening! And we start seeing this gas pour into the room, and that makes every other person in the party sort of freak out. The ceiling is opening, and part of this poison gas is coming into the room. Something from the outside atmosphere, which is what's contaminated and poisoned everyone. At that point, the military starts shooting at the kids with the, with the knives, and one of them takes out the party girl, and uh, the president's kid's running around. He's like, oh, I, I can't believe this is happening. What What's going on? This can't be happening. And then we cut from there directly to after the party, and uh, the entire room is enveloped in this green kind of gross smoke. And we have bodies all over the floor covered in pus bubbles, and their faces are just deformed from the infection. And we've got a handful of men walking through it in hazmat suits, and we see uh, on the TV that the camera's been plugged in by someone, and it's playing back the speech from the party. And it turns out the girl throwing the party is a terrorist. And she... Her whole goal was to show the world the infection and how rich people get treated differently than poor people. The whole thing about it, they, they, they find... They, go, they discuss who the group is called, and the name of the group is The Fetists. And, uh... As a thing, these guys are in here investigating the fungus. Uh, one of them's named Bailey, and uh, he's the only one of any consequence, really. And uh, we get a good close-up of Tim, and his entire head is now crazy blue pus bubble things, and he's super dead. And, of course, they're talking about the fallout because it's the president's kid, and this is going to get noticed because of this, and questioning why these people do this at all, because it's a disease. It's not like the government can do more about it than they're already trying to do. They have the best scientists working on it, and 
all these people are just jerks for doing this. And uh, as they're talking about it, one of the other guys says, oh, have you heard about the other incident? And uh, our guy Bailey's like, what other incident? And kind of gets freaked out for a second. He's like, oh, what? Nobody told you? Oh, man, are you ready? And we cut from there to explain part of what the world's doing. So uh, we can kind of flash back in what looks like a video presentation. And they talk about how the the disease came from the ocean and it wiped out most of humanity. And uh, this particular colony, which uh, is colony B-34, was so far inland that they weren't close enough to the ocean for it to have dis- caused them as many problems as the other people. And their colony is really lucky because they have habitable farm life, so like cows. And it talks about how they cloned, just cloned 10,000 calves last year and only 5% of them showed genetic deficiencies. And that their colony is doing better because they're able to feed their kids real meat uh, and help drive back the uh, the disease inside their, their blood. And it talks about how every generation, there's less and less of the decay in, the, in, our, in our DNA. So, like, this whole thing that's happened to the world, it's defect, it's, it's caused, it, we're several years down the road from it happening. So, like, as a thing, they've been dealing with it for quite a while. Which I want to say they give a date near someplace, but I don't remember what the date was. Anyhow, um, as the presentation goes on, it shows, oh, we got our type scientist working on it, and it shows us a bunch of labs and a bunch of different people doing genetic DNA coding and things, and it goes over how, how much money's been spent and how much work's been done and how far they've processed and how much stuff's been figured out, and it's all because of our great leader, and we get a shot of her, and we talk about how uh, they're doing the best they can to investigate the ocean and try to find more answers. So we join from there back to Bailey, who's standing outside watching this video presentation on these giant screens. And uh, he's he's told that um, she's ready for you now. And uh, they he has to go through this whole sanitization process. So we see this giant sprinkler come down and spam, spray him with sanitation stuff. Uh, anyway, so he, he gets led into another room, and uh, when he first when he walks in there, he's like, there must be something we can do, Eve. And we see the woman sitting in the chair is the same woman from the video we were just watching. So whatever her position is, is pretty powerful. And uh, she's in there and she's been crying. And we see her looking at a picture. And it's a picture of two women at their wedding uh, to each other. And one of them is, is her. It's Eve. The other one is the woman we saw before in the submarine. So it's her wife. And best that we can tell, like the wife's a, a major ma- member of the political party. As as Bailey's talking to her, she spins around the chair and starts yelling at him. And is like, there's nothing else I can do. If I could do something more, I, w- I would do it. She knew what she was getting herself into, taking these assignments. She she knew the dangers. And he's like, well, there's got to be something you can do with your position. And she's like, there's nothing There's nothing else I can do. I, I, we can't really lose any more lives. If I send a, re- a recovery team, the chances of them dying are just as likely. And we can't waste those people. We can't waste those resources. Resources. She knew what she was doing. I can't send the people to go look for a lost submarine. It's uh, it it looks clear that she's upset about it, but like how these two are connected, we don't quite know yet. Anyhow, so the two of them have a little more conversation, and he he talks about how they must have learned something from what they were trying to study. Did, did we get any data back from them? And she's like, we didn't get anything back. Like whatever they were looking for, they're trying to find the deepest origin of the ocean that no one else can get to. And that's why they got lost. 
So she basically makes it sound like they didn't get anything back from them at all, which is questionable, and we know she was sending transmissions, so that's kind of weird, too. And he just continues to question her, and we find out that his first name is Paul, so he's Dr. Paul Bailey. And uh, in the process of him questioning her, she gets really, really angry, smashes her fist on the table, and says, I can't break the same rules I protect against and send people on a suicide mission. And when she does that, she knocks this picture off the desk, and it's the wedding picture we were looking at before. And it falls on the ground, and the glass shatters, and Paul's like, oh, I can, I can help you. And she's like, there's nothing you can do for me, Paul. My heart's broken. And until you accept that there's nothing else we can do, you just need to leave. You just need to leave me alone. And so he reluctantly leaves. And uh, about that time, she go, she picks up part of the picture, turns around to her desk and pushes a button on a phone receiver. And uh, on the other side of the phone, a voice says, is he gone? And she says, yes. And then the voice from the phone is, does, does he know anything about the anomaly? And she says, no, no, he's okay. He's naive, just like everyone else. He's just hurt, like I am, because she's legitimately sad about the girl being missing. And as she's looking at the picture, she unfolds part of it that was folded back behind it in the frame. We see another woman standing on the opposite side of her at the wedding. And uh, she obscures the face with her thumb, and she's like, she lets out a sigh, and the voice on the other end of the line says, what, did something happen? She's like, no, there's just something I've discovered that has been right in front of me this whole time. And then we see the back shot of the picture. She tears off the folded part to remove whoever it was from the picture. Uh, from there, we cut a little bit later, and we're getting, like, a, it's a voiceover from Paul. He's lamenting the situation of the world and sitting there drinking some vodka, looking at pictures, and reminiscing about how him and, him and Pam, which is the girl from the boat... Uh, the, at the very beginning, the girl who's lost and leaving the radio transmission in, in the submarine, that's Pam. So Pam and Eve got married, uh, but at one point, Paul and Pam were a thing. And uh, he's basically going over old pictures of that and trying to reminisce when he finally lost her and how he screwed it up so bad. And it turns out that when Pam first signed up to go on these expeditions, Paul was supposed to do it with her. And uh, Paul was afraid and decided not to. Uh, so he turned it down, and that forced her to leave him, because she wanted to go change the world, save the world, and thought it was worth saving. And Paul was just afraid, not willing to go. Which is what led to their split in the first place, and eventually muscle led to her hooking up with Eve. Anyway, in the middle of his, um, you know, inter introversial look at himself, we cut to the outside of the building he's in, and we see that the, it's a building that's being covered by a batch of soldiers with, you know, hazmat masks on. Not full body suits, but, you know, masks, breathing, breathing masks. And we see these two other people dressed in, like, full-on scuba suit-type gear with, like, space helmets on, kind of. The whole idea is that the poison's in the air, and if you breathe enough of the air, it'll, it'll, it gets into you and then kills you. Well, these two people take out all the guards, and, uh eventually get into his lab and uh, we start the conversation with a gun to the back of his head and we hear a click setting the chamber to fire the gun and that snaps Paul out of his drunken stupor real quick um, and of course he freaks out and uh, the, the woman holding the gun behind him tells him this bullet's going to be faster than any girly scream you can let out so there's no reason for you to scream you just need to accept the fact that you're coming with us if you want to live, you're, you're going to be good about it. 
And, uh, as they're, as she's telling him that, you know, they're gonna be taking him basically, the other, the other fella in the room calls her Jay and tells him, man, this guy's a real man of action. Don't worry, he's not gonna do anything. And she's like, well, let's, let's reason with a good doctor. Uh, as long as he comes with us, we don't have to hurt him. So they basically even take him out of the building into a, uh, like a tunnel beneath the, the area, like a manhole kind of area. And we get down inside of it and we see there's a bunch of old, like, also diving suits or breathing suits. And it's in a hollowed out area that looks like it's been sealed up and abandoned. Sort of like, looks kind of like a subway system. And, uh, the first lady in the suit, she says, so the character Jay, uh, cause she's Jay, he's K, kind of like men in black. Anyway. She says, you know where we're at? And he's like, yeah, I thought they closed off this whole area. Half it's infected with disease. There's no way using it to transport back and forth. It was used to be a straight shot out to the harbor area. If you guys want my IDs to get, get into the harbor, I'll give you those. You don't need me at all. And uh, she puts the gun to it. Well, Jay, K puts the gun to it, puts the gun to his head, and grabs him by his shoulders. And he's like, if we wanted to do that, your clearance is a special kind of clearance. We'd have to take one of your eyeballs and cut off your hand. Do you want us to do that? Is that what you want us to do? Like all serious tim- intimidation style. And of course, you know, he, Paul doesn't want that to happen, right? He's like, oh, the other option is for you to put on one of these suits and you're going to come with us. Paul's still freaking out. And so Jay says, well, maybe we should show him who he's dealing with before before we try to force him to go any farther. And so we see her removing her helmet. And when we get the face reveal, it looks exactly like Pam. Except that she has a piercing in her chin and uh, light freckles, and of course Paul freaks out and he's like, "You look, you look, you're an identical. You look just like Pam." He goes, "Pam had a sister," and she's like, "Yeah, she had a twin sister." And then we meet the fellow that was with her, who's just a guy named Kevin. He's not, you know, he's a dude. Um, but uh, Paul's initial response to it makes us believe that he maybe never knew she had a sister, and we find out her name is Jolene. Jolene says, I have something for you to listen to. And so she starts playing this recording. And it's the recording that was left earlier in the book by Pam. And so we find out that part of what Pam was saying was a message left for Jolene on purpose. And in the message, as it plays further, we see that Pam indicates that she couldn't trust her wife anymore. That she wasn't sure how the force field got shut down. If it was sabotage, if it broke, if the ship broke. She had no idea how they got infected inside because up to that point they'd been safe the entire time. And she doesn't feel safe trusting her wife, and is trying to give a warning to Jolene. So that's all very shadowy, and uh, clearly Eve has something else going on that we have not been uh, led to find out yet. Um, but they they get him into the suit, they take him outside, he gets him to the harbor, and uh, once they get there, one of them opens up a a port to, a port to go down further, and Paul's like, "You don't need me anymore, right? This is the, this is the only time I've ever been outside." Um, I, I can go back, right? You have, you have all the clearance you need now. She's like, Jolene tells him, no, you're going to go with us, Paul. You have a certain set of skills that we're going to need. As we as this is going on, we get a shot of the city, sort of, and we see all these crazy, like, they almost look like, like, man-eater plants, almost. And, I mean, it's all crazy looking. And so, Paul is continuing to be reluctant. Of course, he's freaked out because he's been, never been outside the city. And uh, the idea of being this close to anything that could kill you, of course, freaks him out, because he's basically a chicken. Um, so, uh, as a response to that, Kay, or Kevin, goes over to uh, render the vehicle that they drove out there inoperable, 
In the process of him doing that, all of a sudden we start seeing the ground shake, and uh, Jolene tells tells Bailey, you need to run, you need to run now. And we see this giant tentacle come and shoot out of the ground and crush the uh, transport they were using, uh, which also basically impels Kevin. So, it doesn't go so well compared to Kevin. And uh, she, Jolene yells at him, you have to run, we're in this together now. And that's where issue one kind of closes. So, uh, it's a dangerous position they managed to get into. And uh, as a thing, clearly what they really want is to try to figure out if they can save Pam and figure out whatever Pam found out. Uh, whether whether Eve knows exactly what Pam was doing or not, I mean, is a good question. But another question in there is, well, when she tore that picture up, who did she remove from the picture? Was it really the twin sister? Because it might have been. I mean... Best we can tell, Paul was removed from the situation by then because Pam left him because he was not willing to go with her on this expedition adventure to the ocean bottom. Um, as far as the story is concerned, I mean, it's pretty interesting. It's got some cool setups in it. Um, it's it's an ocean monster kind of book. Uh, Mariko Andolfo is a pretty good, pretty good writer. I mean, she's done a few other things that we've reviewed on the show. So, like... I dig that part. The art's pretty decent. Like I, I like the way the art looks. It's got a it's got a cool color scheme to it because like everything's got like crazy pastels and blues and yeah, it's it's got a cool look to it. Um, it's a it's a mini series. I want to say I think it's a six part if I remember right. Um, so as far as the series is concerned, it's not super long. But uh, she's also done a few other like if you guys got to see Misery, that was another one she wrote. Uh, it was a Victorian style, also scary book. So, and this has the feel of that, like very, uh, maybe not Creature from Black Lagoon, but very, like, the deep type uh, elements. The Abyss. The Abyss, yeah, that's that's a good reference. So very, like, the Abyss kind of idea. Um, as far as, like, a score, I mean, I give it I give it a three. I mean, the art's pretty, like I said, the art's really solid. It's got a bunch of different covers. The uh, Stephen Sidgett cover is, like, straight-up Cthulhu-esque, and it looks awesome. Um, there's a few other action covers too, and the action covers are really great as well. So I mean, all the covers are good. Um, but yeah, like story-wise, it's interesting. There's a lot of political mixture going on in there, and so they set up a couple different like questions as to what the real truth is. Um, but yeah, I give it a three. Uh, Josh, do you know anything about the uh, the deep blue, deep beyond? The art's fantastic. Um, story's okay. Um. Overall, like I was, I wasn't like super, just massively impressed. But other than that, I mean, it was, you know, like the art is very clean. And a lot of times on indie books, like that's one thing you run into is on indie books is like sometimes the like the art just really is messy. Sure. Like they're trying to hurry through something, or it's the first time they're ever doing. It. I, you just never know. Was you know, I like you said, this person worked on other stuff, but yeah. But yeah, so I'll give it like a two and a half. Cool. I'd be interested to see where else it goes. And like, I dig the crazy tentacle monsters because like, whatever this is, it's hard to say if if what they're trying to search for at the bottom is what causes plague, which is also another question, which is interesting. So yeah. Uh, I want to move on to the, uh, the White Lily. Yeah, yeah. White Lily is... So White... White Lily, number one of five, um, written, created and written by Preston Poulter, which uh, adapted from his original screenplay. I'm not sure what actually happened with that. I'm sure if you Google it, we can look into it and find out. Who sure. Knows. 
Well, Preston, we did it actually did an interview with Preston on the show. So if, if you're a long time listener, we would have interviewed him back last year. No, I don't got longer than that. Somewhere in 2019, which at the time he was still pushing the movie, but it, the book had been in process already. He's done Kickstarter a whole bunch of times. So if you go back through our old episodes, look for Preston Bolter, you'll find the interview with him. And the art is done by Laval Davis. Well, pencils anyway. Inks are, inks and colors are shared by quite a few other people. But, um, this book takes place in Moscow, 19, September 1941. It's Hitler has invaded Russia and this, um, where it picks up. Uh, it picks up with air sirens going off and all the lights are out, obviously, cause, you know, it's wartime and I can't use lights so like planes can't see what's going on. And, uh, the main character, um, we have Lilia and she's like, this is the fifth air, the fifth air siren in three days. And, um, she's walking around in her pajamas and, uh, she's just like, wow, just one night's sleep would be great. And this is too much to ask for. And she steps out onto the balcony of her, where she's staying and looks out and she's like, man, I really need coffee. And, uh, it just kind of a shot from a distance of overlooking Moscow. So she, next scene, it's her going down, riding her bike down to a, an actual coffee shop that's actual open. And, um, she goes in to talk to a guy named Victor. He's like, you know, you're lucky that I'm, you know, I, I, I'm strong enough to not, uh, be scared to still keep my bakery open so you can have my coffee. And she's like, yep, it's the only coffee that I can, that I can get, but it's the only coffee I like. And then uh, all of a sudden she's, she hears the planes coming and, uh, she sees the, the Nazi bombers coming to start dropping bombs. And she just says, Victor, run, but it's too late. Explosion happens. She flies. But she, you know, she's covering dust and stuff, but she, uh, it's too late. The building's already fallen and Victor has passed away in the explosion. Yeah, it's a crazy bombing raid that's happening. It's, it's, yeah, it's nuts. The next scene, um, picks up your, your second character, her name's Katya, and, uh, she's standing talking to her dad. A uh, Russian soldier walks up and is like, I shall take you on a proper date while we still hold city. Expect me tonight by 1800. And she's like, no matter how hard you try, you'll never get milk from a bull. And he's like, what does that mean? He's like, it means you're wasting your time. And she gets on her bike and rides away. She rides up to uh, Lilia, and she's like, what do you, What happened to you? You're all covered in dust. She's like, ah, oh, they buy that uh, brilliant Nazi strategy. They bombed my coffee shop. And she's like, I'm sorry. Hold out your arms. And, her, you know, the, the brown-haired one, which is Katya, brushes off the blonde-haired one, Lilia, and, like, dusts her off. And uh, she's like, I haven't had coffee in days. And she's like, ah, oh, take it. I, yeah. I keep, I can't, you know, I can't keep a bird, or keep it, I can't be a bird without weighing me down. It's just thinking about, like, losing a friend. Yeah, she feel bad about Victor getting dead. And you find out that they're, uh, they're, uh, flight instructor, flight instructors, and so, um, as they head up there, like, the, it's a male pilot, and but it's the female, Lilia, who's doing the instructing in this one, and they're in this old biplane, which is, this is World War Two, so they have proper bombers and proper, like, planes like war war planes so this is like an old like biplane from like world war one previous even before that era because at this point a lot of factories have been bombed and stuff there's not a lot of stuff left um so, so they're, they they're, they're, they're making do what they have and um as they're up in the air she says hey rookie the stick is yours and he's like what and he gets all freaked out and i thought this was cool with this book when they go into the the flying scenes like the air combat the the pages actually turn the other way, so you have to turn the book with the, the basically the spine is like goes across like the like horizontally. So it's pretty neat. And uh, she's explaining, basically talking about oh, there's a bomber coming in. He's like, 
well, you know, what's he doing? He's like, set, she's like setting up the kill shot and he's, he starts freaking out and, she, and he's like, don't worry about it. Like, like that plane goes way faster than us. Like all we have to do is just outmaneuver it. And like, it's going to waste more fuel than it, than it's worth for him to shoot us down. So just, just, you know, just wait it out. Cause most people lose interest in about 90 seconds. And like the pilot she's training is like, I'm, I'm getting out of here. And he's like, and she's all, so the Polish Jew, um, is braver than the Russian man, huh? And he like, he's like, okay, I'll sit back down. And, uh, yeah, he's fully getting ready to jump, like, no, he's getting, he was getting parachute out, yeah. yeah. And, uh, so back on the ground, she's like, see them up there? Today's lesson, how to hide from Nazi, how, how to hide from Fritz in the clouds. So as she gets out of the plane, um, she, Katya walks up to her and they both have, uh, orders to be transferred to a different airbase. And, uh, they're like, oh, are we going to have proper guns yet? And she's like, well, um, word on the street is Marina Raskova, who's a, a real character, um, a real person. She, uh, was the leader of, um, female bomber squad and three different, di- different, like, flight squads of women, um, during World War II and Russian women. And one of them was, uh, most notably the, uh, night witches, which were, this group of women who flew these biplanes that were old wooden biplanes and they were very quiet and they would fly in and drop bombs on the Nazis on the front lines, but they could never catch them. They, I think that during the whole time, only five or six planes like altogether got shot down and only three of them actually die. I don't, I don't remember what it was. The numbers that they're really, really low compared to what they did. And uh, they call them the night witches is because these women would like um, get close to where they were, do- where they were going to be and they would shut their engines off and all, all the soldiers would hear was the whoosh of the plane go, getting close to the ground because it's a biplane, and they go way slower, so they're a lot more maneuverable. And they would drop these bombs, and you hear the women cackling. So they like literally thought, like they were literally nightmares for these these Nazi soldiers, and they called them the night witches because they just all they'd hear is like laughing and cackling and whoosh, like they'd be on their brooms, and all of a sudden bombs would start going off because right. they start bombing these. Nazis, and it's that's all real. That's all true stories. So this this book's really based off that. It's pretty rad. So anyway, the next scene is uh, the um, Lilia, the blonde one, going to um, tell her mom that she's off to the front lines, and then it goes um, to her. Well, I don't know if they're sisters. Maybe they might be sisters. I don't, you don't really know, but um, I don't. I'm not sure if they're just friends. But anyway, she's in the same in Katya's house, and they're t- and the the mom's telling them you need to learn Polish. Or, you know, they're telling their mom that you need to learn Russian. And she's like, I speak to you in Polish. I'm Polish. And they're like, she's like, I can't believe you guys are going off to fight for those Russians after what they did to us. Because, you know, the Russians invaded Poland um, years before. And it, you know, were horrible to them. So, but now they're, you know, being but now they're recruited by allies, Russia. to fight. Yeah, because because yeah. Nazi Germany invaded them. And, uh, and she's like, oh, you know, I can't believe you guys are going to go do this and go be soldiers. You know, like... There's only the only kind of sold, uh, women soldiers are dykes, and uh, b- both women, like the Katya and Lily, are both like, just like disgusted by their mom. And the next scene is they're at um, Saratov Military Airfield, where their their orders sent them, and the 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 female boss. She looks very. I'm not sure if she's supposed to be um, Marina Rakova or not. It doesn't say. The woman, their their commanding officer, is like you know a lot of women fake their fake their uh their flight hours and things like that like you know, like uh Lilia you're uh lit lot yak you um you say that you've had 500 hours at the age of 19 and Lilia tries to talk and she's like as of today miss you'll only speak in, to me in response to a direct question and she, and 
So as they're getting at this point, they they start to get sworn in, and uh, Lilia and uh, Katya start like having flashbacks. Um, Katya, the the brown hair, she's thinking back to being on the farm and seeing an airplane for the first time, and then how she just falls in love with the idea of flight, and it shows her watching these planes and daydreaming, and then next thing, her running with a an actual little toy airplane. But then it shows Lilia, and she's um, in the crowd, and her dad, um, it's the Russians have her dad and a bunch of um, other men lined up, getting ready to hang them, and she runs up to, like, to run, tries to run to her dad, and a Russian soldier bashes her in the mouth with the, the butt of his gun. They So she's just kind of wandered off to a way darker place, and her friend's like, hey, snap out of it, and, you know, settle down. The commanding officer dismisses them, and they go into their, their barracks and uh, meet a bunch of other women, and they're all, like, sewing and, like, like yeah, good thing I, you know, I know how to be a seamstress, because they basically, this is in, like, real life, because Russians would just, like, they didn't have a lot of resources, so they get all these women clothes that were way too big for their men's uniforms, so, like, these women had to be seamstress, like, do seamstress work and, like, Tailor make themselves to yeah, fit, make yeah. them smaller. And even there was actually a funny story with the actual night, which is, um, two women actually took a silk parachute out of a flare and um, sewed the took the silk and sewed it into actual like women's underwear because they had to wear men's underwear as well. And so they actually got in trouble and they were take they were those two women who were they were just mechanics. Um, they actually forced them to be the second not the not the pilot but like the navigator base is what they called it the navigator and forced them to like go to the front lines because of that as punishment for taking this because like resources were so scarce right. back then. But they're all like sitting around talking and getting to know one another and they're like, Oh, so when do we get flying? And they're like you know, they're like, Oh, you should just, you know, like, oh fur, sewing fur onto your thing. That's ingenious. And they're just kinda talking and they're like, Oh, you need something else and one of them hands the other one um a white lily. And the next scene is um they're out in the airfield and there's a you know, like the all the male pilots and stuff, and they're going to stand up. One of them, I mean, this old—it's it, an actual war plane this time, thankfully, but it's—it's um, it's a junker. Like it's the you know, what, Lily notices that the front tire is smaller than the back tires and things like that, and they're like, "Well, we're, the, the factory got bombed. We're doing the best we can. This is what we have." And she's like, "It's only got one gun on it." And they're like, "Well, your 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 guys's goal is basically going to use these to like fly in and see things, and if you you know run into enemy fire, you turn around, and come back, and radio for help." And so, like, they, they, they head up into the air, and the pilot she's going against is like, oh, this is easy, women can't fly. And then you get another top part where the, you know, the book turns to horizontally, and because they're up in the air, um, the flight time, and uh, Lilia just goes nuts and just, like, completely outmaneuvers this, this male pilot. And he's just like, this woman is amazing. Like, I I just can't, I can't. And he, she, she basically beats him, like, in... Uh, you know, in a mock-up mock um, dog, dog fight. fight. Yep. And uh, she flies and does, like, a, a flyby, and all the women and all the women are cheering. And she lands, and then, like, the uh, commanding officer woman comes out, and she's like, that's it, you're done. Like, this is the first time and last time you're ever, you're grounded for insubordination. And I'll, and so help me, I'll make sure you never fly again. And all of a sudden, like, the the male commanding officer comes up and whispers in her ear and, and tells her to shut up, and tells the commanding officer to sh- woman commanding officer to shut up and she's like what and uh and he's like you heard me and um she's she marches off all pissed off because she she's like you know yeah he basically told her so, to off. and she's like so what now and then they're like vodka and that's how it ends like they're gonna celebrate um yeah so the next it's it's a limited series it's um this is number one of five um the art really clean um 
not the details a little weak in parts, but uh, overall, I thought like the idea of like the way that the book twists and um, during like the dog fights and the you know the the, the airtime was really awesome. Um, I really the story is really fascinating. I like how um, it goes with the actual story of the night, which is kind of kind of goes parallel to what's going on with women in Russia. How they're just so. Um, short on soldiers in general, that they're just pretty much everybody who's going to like was becoming a soldier and like in one way or the other. And so I just thought that was really, really cool. So I, you know, honestly, as big of a history, and you told me this ahead of time, CBS is, you know, as big of a history buff as I am, I, I it's one of the most enjoyable books I've, I've read in a long time. And, uh, I like the historical accuracy and stuff like that. Like, I, I give it a four and a half. Like, I was, like, and I, I dock it just a little bit because of the art. But overall, like, I could have just kept reading that and reading that. Um, it's a little, like, the vodka thing at the end is a little cheesy. It's kind of like the end of a Mentos commercial. Like, Mentos, because like, they're all smiling and cheery. Right. But it's funny because they're saying vodka instead. Um, that's, but, you know, like, the, the, the little bit lag of art, but the art's at least clean, which is like, you know, again, it's not like all, it doesn't seem rushed. But uh, I, I really, really liked it. I really enjoyed it. If you're a history fan, I think, or or if you just like World War II stuff or, you know, like air, just any of that kind of stuff, I think you'll really enjoy it. Sure. Yeah, it, it's a good book. And, like, Preston, good writer, man. Like, the dude's, he's got a, he's got a several other books also. Um, and as far as, like, contracting out, I, I, if I remember right, when we were talking to him, I feel like the guy who started the book wound up passing away, so we had to have it finished by other people. And that might be why there were so many different artists on it. I can't remember if that was this book or a different book, because we talked to him about a few different books when that was when we were talking to him up in Colorado Springs. Uh, but yeah, like as far as the story's concerned, it's all based off like real stuff. So it's like the the all that stuff they're dealing with the, the female pilots and with the the Russian influence with everything that was going on in there is all based out of real history. So that's really cool. Um, but yeah, score wise, I mean, I give it three and a half. I liked it a lot. I like Red Five as a company. Um, I mean, they're a tiny company. They don't do a lot of stuff, but a majority of the stuff they put out, I, I think, is really cool. And like, I like that this is found a home there because I mean, Preston was doing it himself at conventions and Kickstarters, and yeah, I don't remember if he ever used Indiegogo or not, but I know he does Kickstarter a lot. But yeah, I like, guess the thing is really cool that it found a they found a publisher to get into to, to comic book companies and stores everywhere. So that's awesome. But yeah, it, like Josh said, if you if you dig stuff that's World War Two-y, it totally is like it's a complete fit. It's awesome. But yeah, three and a half. That's what I score wise. Ha. But yeah, go check that that uh, interview out with him. I mean, I, I can't remember what number it was. I should look at what number it was before we did this. But oh well. well you've done yeah. hundred. What'd you say? Hundred and sixty. So yeah. Yes, I mean, it's okay if you don't remember one thing. Right. So it's it's in there somewhere in the one thirty range, maybe. From the uh, White Lily, we'll move into uh, some Berserker. Which is part of a song from a movie I like still, even though the director is not my favorite. Um, so this is Berserker, issue number one, is from um, Boom Studios. Uh, this is uh, written by Keanu Reeves and Matt Kent, with the art by uh, Ron Garney. And yes, uh, it is that Keanu Reeves, so the actor, uh, Mr. John Wick, Bill from Bill and Ted, or Ted from Bill, Bill and Ted. Whichever one he is. Uh, yeah, it's him. Um, some, yeah, Speed One. You know, Keanu Reeves. Coolest guy in Hollywood. 
So book opens up, and uh, we've got a guy sta- sitting in the rain, and uh, we pull back to to reveal. You know, he's kind of a he's kind of a girthy guy, and while he's sitting there, he like no, I mean, he's wearing a regular coat and no like umbrella or anything. So he's just sitting there absorbing the rain, and uh, a car pulls up, and uh, whoever's inside the car tells him it's time. And we get this cool close up of his eyes as he looks through his long hair. Uh, from there, we cut to the inside of a plane, and uh, as he's sitting in the plane, he's in full tactical gear, and uh, we get little glimpses of uh, of inner inner monologue is what's gotta be, and uh, he's like, "It's funny. Time is a funny thing," and we see like his eyes flicker with lightning, which is I'm not sure if it's real lightning or if it's like just supposed to be like a smolder, but I mean it's lightning. And then uh, we pull back to the next scene, and we, his eyes are still glowing, and we see him wrapping his fists, getting ready to fight. And uh, there's a whole bunch of other soldiers that are sitting around him in full like tactical gear, helmets, gloves, guns. And uh, we cut to the side of the the, uh, the plane that they're in, or the helicopter they're in, excuse me, helicopter. And uh, one of the guys got an earpiece in, he says, uh, How you doing? And uh, our main character, Berserker, because that is his name, says, getting ready. And he's like, alright, well, we're, we're coming in high, so hold on. And uh, Berserker basically stands up, and he's like, are you ready? He goes, I'm ready. And he goes straight to the door and just jumps out. Very Captain America in, like, Civil War from the Avengers movies. And uh, all of the guys in the plane are like, oh my god, that's crazy. Uh, we see the rest of them slowly repel down from a very high height, whereas the Berserker just jumps from the plane. Again, very Captain America-like. Um, anyway, he lands in the middle of a bunch of dudes and just starts taking guys out. And uh, as as this is going on, we have the inner monologue running. And it's like a, it's, he's, it, we know later that it's a conversation he's having with somebody else. And uh, the first box says, it's our anniversary. And the next box, after he's taken out like 10 dudes, is, uh, we've been working together for, for a year today. So today is the, uh, today's the anniversary of us working together. And then uh, we see a few more shots of him taking guys out. Um, all military men. And he's like, does that feel like a long time to you? So whoever he's talking to, the conversation's a two-way conversation. Um, we see him s- s- grab a gun from a dude and then punch the dude through his head. I mean, it's it's brutal. Um, yeah. Uh, as this is going on, I mean, his eyes glow white, so it, it must be a power thing. That's the only thing that makes any sense. Um, but yeah, his inner monologue says life is short and then uh, we see him turn to a batch of the soldiers he's with and they've opened a door and they're all getting ready to head inside and we see him take off his flak jacket and we see he's been shot full of bullets like there's red spots everywhere from the bullets and that so the door opens up and as he goes, starts going down the stairs he says I think we made some progress and this is the voiceover still talking and the person he's talking to replies oh yeah He's like, yeah, I feel, I feel things, I feel connections, I feel things telling me something's wrong, and like, as all this is going on, we see him accost a dude in the middle of the hallway, just fills him full of lead, and he be- beats the dude's head in with a gun, um, <laughs> from there he busts into another room, dragging that dude's dead body, to find a room full of dudes with guns who just start shooting at him, and he goes through the room taking him apart. Like, one dude, he uppercuts and knocks his jaw into the top of his face. 
Another dude, he smashes his head in. Another dude, he grabs him by his hair, picks him up, punches him in the stomach, and we see his hand go in the stomach, pull out a rib, and stab another dude in the throat with it. And then punch that same dude's jaw off his face. It is crazy. It is so brutal. Um, so he takes out that room full of dudes, right? This whole time, the soldier guy's behind him just sort of moving through the hallway. Um, after he's taken out pretty much everybody in the room, they find one guy who's still there who, who's functional. And uh, one of the soldiers yells at him, uh, Donde el Presidente? And uh, he, as he's interrogating him, of course, Berserker comes walking up to him, too, and the dude's just losing his mind. He's like, oh, he's, he's at the airport. And it's, it's translated from whatever language they're supposed to be speaking, but he's, he's at the airport. He's leaving the country. And Berserker grabs him by the chest and then smashes him against the window, jumping out the window with the dude. And uh, our, our conversation goes on. He's like, and in return, you've helped us, is what the voice talking to him says. With a lot of things. And, uh... He lands with the dude's body in the middle of this, like... It looks like it's a vending truck for for hot dogs. In the middle of the street. And, uh, it smashes the truck all to hell. And, uh... The voice that's talking to him says... Well, your, your spark... Your, your, char- your chart's sparked. Uh, your temporal lobe. There's, uh, new branches that lit up. Where, where, where there's different activity that hasn't been there before. And uh, that's interesting, because we, we still don't know exactly what's going on outside of this battle. He climbs out of the truck, and uh, comes running at, like, a... It's a tactical truck, like a... I, I'm, I, know, I know... I don't know what these things are called. Josh, what kind of truck would you say that is right there? It's a military vehicle, but it's got a particular name. It's a military transport. It's, it's not a Hummer, but it's like a military tran- convoy. I, I guess. I guess I thought it, it's like a Hummer. Anyhow, the gun at the top is shooting at him. He's just taking the bullets. He does it a somersault forward over the hood as it's driving directly at him, and he kicks through the window, the windshield, smashing the heck out of the driver, and then takes over the vehicle so he can drive it to the airport. Um, which is also crazy. Of course, in the back of the vehicle, there's still the same soldiers that were shooting at him, and, like, one of them pulls a gun on him, and uh, he just smirks, leans backwards, the dude fires the gun, and, like, shoots off his nose, which is pretty gross, too. The voiceover, we hear it say, see it say, I told you, I have a perfect memory. And it says, by, and by perfect memory, I mean, I mean, I remember the victims of the Black Deaths and what they smelled like. So the Black Death is a, a plague that happened centuries ago. And it says, I remember the smell of an angry mob putting torch to tar and feathers. Then he smashes that dude's nose in, takes the gun in hand on the on the end that's the business end, and the dude shoots through his hand. He grabs the gun, throws it out the window, and proceeds to pull a grenade pin, hold it to the dude's chest in his fist, and blow it up. From there, the dude who just blew up goes flying out the side of the car from the explosion. And then we see Berserker still driving the car, but his hand, like, burnt down to meat and bones. It's just gross. And uh, his face, of course, has got no nose, so there's a bloody stump there. Makes him look even crazier. Uh, then we cut to uh, see a couple guys who were up on top of uh, a roof. Two soldiers, one with some binoculars, another sniper, that says... Uh, 
he's peeking. And then we hear a voice say, Roger that, he's on his way to the target. And he's still driving the truck, he's just got the door blown off from the explosion from the grenade and the windshield smashed out. And he drives it all the way to this, um, like a jet that's on the uh, tarmac, smashes into the front of the jet with the truck, causing it to explode and blow up half the, half the jet. From there, he climbs out of the rubble. Now, half his face melted, only some of the hair on top of his head still, part of his beard, and, like, the rest of his face melted to, like, fleshy. So it looks pretty, I mean, he's pretty intense. Um, and he climbs through the wreckage to get the back of the plane where he finds El Presidente. And, uh, well, Presidente's terrified, um, because you basically have this, I don't know, zombie-looking dead dude standing in front of you with half a hand on one side and just rotted flesh for face because of all the explosions. And uh, he takes the beaten El Presidente to death. And while he's doing that, we see flashes of other people that this has probably happened to before El Presidente. So we see another guy's face. Um, also in fear, the same way the Presidente is. Anyway, eventually Berserker beats him to the point that his eyeballs come out. And uh, that takes place over quite a few panels. I mean, again, it's pretty pretty brutal. Um, he tears out part of is either his heart or his brain. And about that time, Berserker becomes aware that there's another passenger in the plane still. A younger boy, which I would have to assume is probably the Presidente's son. And uh, the son sees him holding this chunk of flesh from El Presidente. And we see the boy's face afraid, and then we see a flashback of some other boy with the exact same scared eyes. From must be a different time, because it's a different person. So it's some type of memory he has. And then at that point... Um, we cut to him sitting on the helicopter, rotted face, rotted mouth, hole in his face where his nose used to be, no longer bleeding the way he was, with all these soldiers sort of sitting around him. And uh, we get some more voiceover work, and it explains a few more other things, and we get uh, part of his inner monologue where he says, I told you, I don't want to die. I just want to be able to, to die. And uh, the general guy that was with him, the dude who originally told him when to wait to jump out of the plane, he's like, you did a good job, kid. Don't forget it. We appreciate everything you do to protect us. The new, and we appreciate you working with a new protocol. And he hands him this pill. And so Berserker takes the pill. And then we cut from there to an undisclosed U.S. government facility outside of Tacoma, Washington. And uh, we see Boots walking through this sterilized like, hospital-style hallway. And, uh... Well, two of them are normal normal soldier boots. The other, the other two two feet are uh, berserker's feet. And, of course, they're just dragging in trails of blood. And uh, as we're walking down the hall, we are reminded again that he is a bloody mess on one side because of the grenade explosion. Um, and he's led to a room where there's a whole bunch of surgical people that uh, strip him down, put him on a table, and uh, start hosing him off and cleaning him. Um, from there we see them remove a few pieces of his, like, fingers and pieces of flesh and some, some flesh from around his eye. All very surgical. Um, he appears to be unconscious while this is going on. So the pill must have been something to drug him. Uh, but we cut from there to another scene where we've got a bunch of people in there doing surgical adjustments to him. And we see some close-ups of the eyes and close-ups of his hands and 
all the printout and readouts around there talk about how it's he's he's healing, um, and that his body's repairing itself. We see some crazy like they're not like it's not like a cat scan. It's like a scan of his veins and how his veins fit in his body are crazy. And then we get a scan of his head, and from there we cut to a man sitting in a room that's like a library who's reading a batch of books and. It's Stephen. They tell us it's Stephen Caldwell, um, and he's uh, an important part of the uh, system of, of technology and migration. And he's apparently been studying Berserker for a very long time. Um, we get some more of the internal monologue. Eventually, we see the uh, doctors wrap him in this crazy, like techno-looking suit, sort of. It's like a, a sheet that has a bunch of what looks like computer readout chips on it. And uh, they wrap him in that, and they wrap him in a set of, of robes. So as the guys cart him away from the surgical room, the next room we wind up in is uh, with a lady who's been the, the same person we've been talking to this entire time. So all the inner monologue stuff, it's been a conversation with her. And uh, they're in like a, I don't know, like an office room that has woods all over the walls and uh, like an ocean, so like a tranquil kind of interview setting. And uh, she tells him that they've been working together over a year, and she's like, she says, I know you're not a god. I don't believe in gods. And he's like, well, gods are immortal. I'm immortal. And she says, yeah, I I don't believe in gods, but I believe in you. And we get a bunch of readout stuff, and she they, there's a lot more conversation in there where she sort of explains stuff they've been learning. And he tells her how he sort of felt something. And she's like, well, what, what is it? And we see a flashback to where he's in the plane with the little boy after he had, well, he's not like a kid, but like the young adult, after he killed the, uh, the papa. And, uh, he elects to stop. And then one of the soldiers comes in and he tells him no witnesses. And so the soldier shoots the boy. He didn't. Then we come back to the office and we see her giving administrative drug. From there, he takes another pill, and we get this flashback of what appears to be mother and father of an infant boy, and it looks very, like, caveman-y. In the process of that, we see the baby start to, f- to feed on the mother, but he he bites her. We pull back to see that these people are full-on caveman people, and best we can tell, it's him as a baby at caveman days. So if he's been alive since caveman days, that's crazy. And that's basically where the book ends. The final reveal is, oh, yeah, he's from the caveman time. Good luck, everybody. The art's pretty good. I mean, Ron Garney, he's, I, I think he's a good artist. This, this book moves a lot like storyboards because we get a lot of pacing based on the movement and the art. It is super brutal. Um, just, it's full, I mean, if you, if you want intense action and like carnage, this, this is the book for you for sure because it is full of it. Um, I mean, score-wise, I give it a three and a half because it's pretty intense and it's pretty interesting. But it is way more like it is way more action than it is anything else. So yeah, so I give I give it a three. Um, I'm interested to see what else they do with it, but I mean, these are concepts we've seen before, so I, I guess we'll see where it goes. Josh, you know anything about the Berserker? You know. Wasn't a fan. Yeah, it's it just it's just kind of. I'm not seeing this take set multiple times. You're trying to explain to me about an old Valiant book that was similar. I feel like it's kind of similar to Wolverine in some ways, except without the adamantium. I mean, 
you know, the art didn't impress me. I know you said you like art. I wasn't, I, I think it's messy. Like it's hard to follow sometimes. Like it, it's so, it's, it's just okay. Um, Story's kind of it's it's decent. It flows real well. It's very heavy action packed. A lot of violence and like craziness. Uh, you know, basically, it's just a guy that you know is immortal and thinks he's immortal somehow and wants to die. And like they promise him, if they like build a super army out of his DNA, then they'll help him die or something like that. And I'm like, eh, I've heard that before. You know, it's just like whatever. But I, I, I give it a two. I wasn't super impressed with it, uh, but yeah. Round. Um, so what do we have after that? We have Scout's Honor. Yes, Scout's Honor from Aftershock, number one from Aftershock Comics. Um, it's written by David Pepos, and it's drawn by Luca Castellanguita. And David's been on the show before, actually. Um, he's the same guy who wrote Spencer and Locke. Uh, which we have an interview with him from Denver Comic Con from a couple years ago. So another person you can go listen to if you go back a little bit. Um, yeah, uh, he was interviewed by uh, Joel and Destiny whenever we were doing that convention out there. So pretty cool interview. It was when it, it was way before this book was a thing. But he was doing the Spencer and Locke series um, for uh, oh gosh, who was printing it? Uh, I don't remember who made that book. I feel like it was Antarctic Press, but I don't think that's right. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, go on. So this book takes place in Fort Collins, Colorado. Yep. Starts out there. Um, and it's starts with um, somebody talking systems check, processing, oxygen breathability, stable particulate matter within acceptable range. And the radiation, sir, are holding steady at 15 rads. Um, well, good. It's finally time. 9,562 days since the bombs fell. It's time to see the world they left us. And some people walk out wearing gas masks, and it's just a very ravaged city. There's like a you know burnt American flag on the top as a space shuttle, uh, jetliner, and uh, just all sorts of just destroyed worlds. Like the main person says, "My God, the destruction! It's even worse than they said." We waited for this day so long. What do we do now, sir? What we were taught to do: survive. Have faith, brother. We're the Ranger Scouts of America, and so long as we live by the Good Book. Will always be prepared. So right off the bat, it's kind of based off the Boy Scouts, so it's like Cub Scouts and all that stuff. Um, it even looks like the little the man standing there says it says Ranger Scout Survival Handbook and by Doctor Jefferson Hancock, and so it's kind of I don't know. Like, yeah, it's very like he's basically holding a Boy Scout manual, and when he's talking about the Good Book, he's talking about the Boy Scout manual. But it's called the, they're called the Ranger, Ranger Scouts, Scouts right? Trademark. Um, and then it says, the Colorado Badlands, 260 years later, and it's three, you know, young adults, and uh, they're tracking a gamma bore, which I assume is not a, a pleasant thing, and they're like, um, watch your six, and like, oh yeah, like, holy mother, and all of a sudden this boar, like, pops up behind and smashes one of the, ki- like, one of the three kids, or people's face, like, just crushes the head. I'm like, we have to get him. They're like, no, remember the sixth lock hit. I'm like, no burdens. We gotta leave him. And so they start shooting at this thing and, and they're like, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll distract the boar while, you know, while you try and flank it. And, um, it's a redheaded guy, kid, and a, a, a dark haired guy with longer hair. And, uh, the redheaded kid runs off into the, just away and the boar's chasing him. 
dark-haired kid goes and hotwires a, a Bronco of some sort, and then so then the boar starts chasing after the Bronco and smashes into it, and the kid the kid flies out of it, and just in time for like the redhead kid to like shoot an arrow straight down the boar's mouth with some grenades on it that uh, he'd rip, um, basically s- salvaged off the the kid that died, and the boar explodes. He's like, geez, kid, you, uh, the dark-haired kid's like, geez, kid, you're cutting it a little close there, weren't you? And he's like, yeah, I just figured you needed a moment to admire my superior hunting skills. And then uh, as they walk off back towards where, wherever they're going, like, you see some green eyes in the background. I don't know. Yeah, I shouted out. Some, something was watching them. And, like, the gamma boar, it, it's an irradiated giant boar that's just I mean, super yeah, sounds, pissed. sounds just like what you would yeah. So then it shows like a, a gigantic statue with um, an old man with holding two tablets, kind of like Moses, but it's not. And it's like, let us re- recite the words of the true prophet, Dr. Jefferson Hancock, the guy that wrote this scout manual. As uh, Before the bombs fell and the skies burned, he taught us the strength to survive in the wilderness because he knew that there was another world beyond our sight. And then like the kid that died was is laying, laying there like on a, on a pyre. And uh, they're celebrating by eating the boar that they'd killed. Um, and this person, like the leader, they, they call him the Scoutmaster, which I think is kind of funny. But he's like dressed in like religious robes and he's like um, doing ceremony over the top of it. And uh, or over the top of the kid. And he's like, well, well for, for while we praise one brother's life, we celebrate another's conviction. Come forward, brother Kit, he who slayed the fearsome Gamma Boar. And so the redhead kid comes up, and um, he finds out that the scoutmaster is the father of the dark hair, the dark haired kid with the long, longer hair. Yeah, the other one was with him, and uh, goes up there and gets a gets a badge, you know, like a, a merit badge. Yeah, merit badge. But this one is um, the badge for valor, the highest honor a scout can achieve before joining the ranks of Eagles Guard, which you know, you Eagle Scouts, the highest Boy Scout thing, right? And uh. Doctor Hancock would be proud of your brave you of our brave men for redeeming the uh, redeeming the badlands just as our blessed wives and sisters keep the torch of civilization burning at home. Know that the prophet is watching you, Kit. And he's like basically he's like, and that we're proud of both your guys' achievements, but only one of them got the award. So the kid that the dad is the scoutmaster didn't get anything. He's like, yeah, gee, thanks, Dad. And, uh, and then he starts reciting the laws. The and he's like the first law. Always be prepared. Um, the second law is a scout's duty is to protect others. The third law is a scout is forged in brotherhood beyond our sisters and wives. And while this is happening, you see a woman being attacked in an alley, and a thread-headed scout like sneaks up, and the the the, the guy that's attacking the woman holds that knife. He's like, "Oh, you scouts don't scare me. I survived the Battle of Black Ridge without seeing a single one of you. Now beat it before I show you how a real man uses a knife." And they, then uh, the fourth law, a scout obeys his scoutmaster without question. And the scoutmaster says, correct, for Dr. Hancock believed in order and loyalty above all else. But what did he tell us with his fifth law? The scout also shows mercy. And then it shows the scout el- elbow smash this guy that's attacking a woman in the alley right in the face. While this is going on, that we shall grant a swift death to the infirm and the elderly. Yes, and why did Dr. Hancock tell us this? Because of the sixth lie, scouts shall not become a burden unto others. Um, correct, but all of our tenets, the final law is our most um, sacred saint. 
and the woman's thanking the scout. And for all we know, Hancock's seventh law, and the woman's like, is there anything I can offer in return? And the scout shrugs her off and says, no, ma'am, just doing, just doing my good turn for the day. And the last law says, the scout's honor must never be in question. One of the things I, I, I kind of miss, to go back just a little bit, but uh, as the scout's um, talking to the guy in the alley, and he's like, yeah, none of you were there at the Battle of Black Ridge. I didn't see a single one of you. And the scout says, well, if you, if you really were at Black Ridge, then you should already know. If you see a ranger scout on the battlefield, you're already dead. Which I thought was pretty, pretty, That's an awesome pretty hardcore. Um, the next scene uh, is the redheaded kids walking into a house and talking to his dad. And the dad's like, you're home late. Uh, we've talked about this kit. There's no room for showing off. Not with the third law. So why am I hearing about medals from, a, from the scoutmaster? And the kid's like, it's just a merit badge, dad. What was I supposed to do? Let Des get crushed by a gamma bore? He's like, damn it, boy, it's going to be the death of you. I need you to be smarter than this kid. If not for your, for your sake, then do it for your old man. I'm sorry, kiddo, you know I love you, but one day you'll need to make a choice because if they ever find out who you really are, and then it, it's like the, the red-headed kid pulls off the shirt and it's, it's a girl, and uh, they'll never let you be a ranger scout, and she's taped down her breasts. Right. And uh, tried to make her, you know, her hair's real short and tried to be as boy looking as possible. And then it, it, it shows she reached the gates at 0600 hours. Survivor walked all the way from the new meridian with severe blood loss, cracked ribs, concussion. Um, she only had one word on her lips when she arrived. This is the third colony these barbarians attacked, or highwaymen is what she says. And this is the third colony these barbarians had attacked this month. Hancock only knows they would burn every scrap of civilization if left unchecked. Only the ranger scouts would stop the highwaymen, but we need an advanced team to determine their numbers. And the redhead kit, uh, you know, is it kit? Yeah, kit. I'll do it, sir. We were just outside New Meridian yesterday. I know the terrain. And then the scoutmaster's kid is, uh, yeah, let me tag along with kit, kit, strength and numbers, right, dad? He's like, so be it, son. Ready the sand vulture and head to the new, head to New Meridian. And, you know, this, the sand vulture is like kind of like a makeshift, like motorcycle thing. I mean, it's pretty cool looking, you know, like very like Bad Maxi. Yeah. Because at this point, this is kind of where we are. Uh, you got like everything's hobbled together yeah. with what they have. Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's very Mad Max. Is a good way to describe it, actually. Yeah. And so it's like, and may the prophet watch over your journey. And it's like radio's fried. Was a riding the motorcycle thing. It's like must be an EMP storm building over the horizon. Over there, Des, I see something by the rubble, and Des is the dark-haired kid. It's like, what is it? Like nothing good. That's an entire platoon of highwaymen. Looks like they've dug up an old pre-war bunker. Who knows what weapons they'll find down there. It's like, this is bad, Des. you got to go back and get back up before the storm hits. And, and Des, Des like, and let you hog all the glory again? Not a chance. Like, Des, if, it, if I tackle these guys alone at suicide, but you're the fastest sand vulture pilot in the five territories, that means you're the only person on the planet who can bring the cavalry in time. He's like, fine, keep an eye on them. So as she, Kit, he, she, like she, right, um, Sitting there watching, um, a some sort of like octopus drone, like floating thing, like pops up and says, "Hostile detected! Hostile detected!" and starts attacking him, her, and uh, this thing's going off and being loud, and just keeps saying, "Hostile detected!" really loud, and like hopefully they didn't see that, and then all of a sudden it's she's surrounded by the highwaymen. This this drone thing goes multiple hostiles detected, activating USMC perimeter defense. 
USMC to perimeter defense activated these guns, like these huge like Gatlin gun things pop out of the ground and start unloading on the highwaymen. And Kit manages to jump out of the way. And um, this thing attacks her again and knocks her down this uh this bunker, this uh like the manhole kind of thing. And she she falls per- like down where a ladder would be, lands and crashes on the ground. It's like hostile alert, military identification detected, scanning military identification, please comply your face immediate termination and, and and she's still fine and like and it's scanning her badges, um, you know, her merit badges, and it's like, oh, get off. And all of a sudden superior officer detected, deactivating defense mode. And she's like, Superior officer, what on earth? And like greetings, commander, activating secondary directive. And all of a sudden, the uh, Dr. Jefferson Hancock pops out like a hologram. It's like, hello, is this thing on? And she's like, oh. I was like, all right then, start recording on my signal. This is Dr. Jefferson Hancock, broadcasting on all frequencies. This is a message for all Class 4 military personnel regarding USMC Training Initiative, Project Eagle. I pray this reaches the property, or the proper authorities in time. If there are any authorities left, uh, Project Eagle was created to enlist male delinquents from across the foster system and train them in practice practical survival skills codenamed Ranger Scouts. We had hoped to curb the violent tendencies in these young men by indoctrinating them as the next generation of elite soldiers. But but all we did was make them more deadly and efficient. The Ranger Scouts live only to conquer now. They overran the base after the bombs dropped. I repeat, if you get this message, do not let them out. Do not... And all of a sudden, then, as this in the recording, you see Ranger Scouts, like, but they're adults, like, come out and, he, and the doctor says, no, and they're like, and then they just attack him, and they kill him, and it pans back to Kit's face, and she's just massively shocked, she's like, oh my gosh, we killed him, we killed Dr. Hancock, and there's the body of Dr. Hancock holding the original scout, scout manual, and uh, that's where it ends, uh, and then in the back of it's got, like, it goes through, it goes like the different, the different badges, Oh yeah, it's got the rundown and different stuff on the back of like it. Like wildlife mastery, underwater filtration, eagles guard, and like, but it goes. I think it's like a little bit more, like it gives it a lot more detail, like of what the t- the timing and stuff like that. So sure, it's, it's pretty cool. Wilderness survival, but it has like a radioactive symbols, like um, you know, yeah, like history of the Badlands is one of the badges, and it's like a, a gas mask type thing. Right, pretty cool. I'll update it to go with the current plague world. I mean, overall, like, I thought this book was a really cool idea, like, you know, just everything about it. Like, I like, I did like the art on this. Um, it is, it, it's a little rough in some places, like the details on, on faces and things like that. And it gets a little, it gets a little, like, messy in certain areas, but overall, I liked it. Um, I give it a four. I was a pretty big fan of this book. I'm pretty excited to see where it goes because it seems really interesting, like a, you know, like a, an elite soldier, but it's a woman. So, like, not only is she, like, against, this supposed evil guard, which is it still like that? Nobody knows. Like, what are they building to? But also, is it, um, you know, what are they going to think when they find out she's a woman, not a man? So, like, it's, it's a lot, there's a lot of cool little plot holes, but, um, I'm not, is this an ongoing or is it a miniseries? Or? I want to say it's a miniseries, but I don't remember that. Um, generally, I mean, a lot of stuff Aftershock does are miniseries, but I don't remember if this one is or not. So, I don't know that answer. Yeah, pretty, pretty cool book. I mean, pretty neat idea. So, man, I follow suit, man. It's it's really neat. Like the cover's really cool. The art inside, I mean, I think it makes sense for Plague World. So, like it being a little scratchy and sort of sort of sketchy, I think it fits real good because it's the time frame it's supposed to be. Um, Score wise, I mean, yeah, I mean, I give it four too. It was four as well. 
Like, I like David. He's an awesome dude. And, like, the, a couple other books we've had him, he's, he's done have been good. Have they had this neat twists to them. As far as, like, the concept behind it, like, it's a really neat idea. And, like, I could easily see it turn into something that became a movie or a show because it's got enough little pieces that are cool that I could see it turn into something bigger. Yeah, it's really pretty good. Like, the main reason I want to take notice of this book is because of Eric, one of our listeners, mentioned it to me one time, and I was like, I don't know if we have that or not. And he's like, oh, well, you know, whatever. And then, uh, of course, ordering-wise, I wound up stumbling across some available ones, and so I ordered a couple into the store just to be like, just to see what it was. So, good good call, Eric. If you're listening, that's a uh, shout-out to you, buddy. Because, yeah, I, it is awesome. Uh, I, I like it a lot. Um, so, so, after that book... We have Noctera. Um, Noctera is from Image Comics. Uh, this guy is written by Scott Snyder, and the art in it's by Tony Daniels, who are both fantastic. Um, this is another ba- book that takes place in Colorado, surprisingly enough. Uh, so it starts out also in, well, this is in Denver, I guess. So Denver, Colorado. And it tells us, this is them. And we're outside of a school, and we have some inner monologue going on, and uh, it, we... Meet our first character, who's a, a girl named Val. Uh, Val Riggs is her name, and uh, Val is talking about how she remembers what she was doing last before the uh, before everything went black, and how her story is a little bit different than everyone else's story. And we see that she's at the time drawing a picture in class of her family, um, her mom and her dad, which are her adopted parents, and her brother. Uh, her brother's adopted as well. Her brother is uh, named Emery, and. Uh, she talks about how uh, her family, the picture of her family is, is different than what other people's pictures would look like. And then they show about that, uh, while I was in school is when the, when the lights when, when the lights changed. And she talks about how her, her call sign is currently Sundog. That's what they call her. That's her call name. And she's like, uh, my story is a bit different, though. And... Uh, we wind up seeing that how everyone, when the sun started to first go out, it didn't go out immediately. It took a while before it went fully black. And at that point, people started trying to get back together and figure out where to go and where to hide. And eventually she and her brother get picked up by their parents. And the parents tell them, oh, don't, don't worry, it's going to be alright, you know, just like you do to, for kids. And uh, how the father was going to drive them out of the city to kind of keep them safe. And as they're driving them down the road... Um, her brother in the back seat gets a hold of her, uh, one of her crayons, and he colors in the sun black, all crazy style. She's like, "What are you doing? You're hurting my picture." He's like, "I'm just trying to make it more realistic. I, w- I want it to look more realistic." And she talks about how, for her, it was different than for everyone else. Um, and we get a kind of close up of her, which she's and she's got a tear in her eye because she's sad that he messed up her drawing. But it's also sad that the world's going absolutely crazy. And then we see a, a timestamp on the very next page, which is completely black, and it says 13 p.m. And uh, we pull back, and we're at another close-up of someone's face with this crazy, like, visor on it that has these light rays basically on the visor. And uh, we're told that we're 10 miles east of Luxville, Colorado's outpost. And uh, the visor lifts up, and we see underneath it, it is now an adult version of Val. And... Uh, She's talking to somebody on a radio that tells them to, uh, they're telling her, asking how her, how her trip's going, and she's communicating back and forth that everything's been fine, but she's seen, she thinks there's shadows in the, uh, up above in the clouds. And, uh, then we get a flash to the back of the, uh, rig, and we see that she's driving a giant semi that has a whole bunch of lights all over it. 
um, halogen lights, like tiny lights just all over the place. Then we see in the back of the semi, so like the uh, cargo area, and uh, inside there we have a bunch of people dressed in different, like, some of them in space suits, some of them in, like, I don't know, I guess you'd call them, like, dive suits. Uh, but the back of the, the vehicle itself has a bunch of Christmas lights inside of it, keeping the entire back lit as well. And we've got a whole bunch of people, uh, men, women, a couple ch- couple kids, and we have this old man who's sitting with a very young girl. And she calls and tells him, she says, Grandpa, I'm scared. He's like, just remember why we're doing this, honey. It's an important it's important what we're doing. And she's like, yeah, but I'm still scared. And uh, then we see a vi- the little flash voice over there says, I have, I have visuals, huh? And we see in front of the, we pull back the, the driver, who sees in front of the semi this giant, like, black, it sort of looks like a flying creature, but devoid of any kind of, like, image inside of it. It's it's kind of crazy looking. And uh, it winds up landing on the, the, the hood, and we see a bunch of other ones, and they look very, like, like something out of it. No, not out of it. Out of the, the thing. So like the uh, the movie, The Thing, whenever uh, that guy's hand starts walking around and it has a mouth on the back side of it, it's kind of like that. Because there's crazy like fingers, but there's like a mouth inside of it, and it has wings. It is just crazy looking. She she tells him that, uh, that she, she's got a hold of it, and she says, hang on, I, I, I've got this. I'm turning on the, the HIDS, the HIDS. So like high beams, and uh, she turns on these crazy like floodlights, and it vaporizes the hell out of the things, like melts them away. And we pull back to see if there's a bunch of these things, and a bunch of them are on the truck. So the high beams result in basically burning them to nothing, but the the glow of the truck that are the normal lights all over it, and the extra Christmas lights all over it. Don't vaporize them, but uh, there's a whole pack of them swarming around the vehicle. Then we jump into the back, and one of the passengers in the back is like, Oh, we're all going to die here. I've got to get out. I've got to get out. We're all going to die. And uh, the guy sitting right next to her is wearing like a full cloth bodysuit that has Christmas lights on it. And they're all like, No, you got to calm down. Just sit down. And she's like, No, I have to get out of here. And so she jumps up and comes over to the panel with a bunch of buttons on it and starts pushing buttons to open the back door. And everyone else freaks out, and of course, she gets the back door open. Just about enough time to see a giant claw that's the same black kind of material as the things that were on the hood. Grab a hold of her head, and pull her out the back. Well, now Val realizes there's a problem, and she puts the car into auto-drive, and tells the, uh, tells the person she's been talking to on the headset that she has to get out and do something about the problem. And that, that person's not very excited about her getting out. Um, but she climbs up onto the roof of the vehicle, and basically starts taking care of all the little flying hand-mouth things. And uh, she's just like, oh, get off, no freeloaders. And she fires these crazy, like, it's not flames, but like lit-up gas at them. It stops a whole bunch of them, but there's so many. Eventually one of them gets a hold of her foot and knocks her down. And in the process of that, she sees a giant one kind of fly above them in the glow of the light from the truck, which just freaks her out even more. What she's spraying them with is kind of like a tear gas kind of a repellent type fog. And uh, so she swings down around the backside into the truck to try to help save the people. And we encounter one of these things that is sort of humanoid, but its face is just crazy. And it's munched the head of the lady it grabbed. And uh, she tells everyone to get behind her and just calls it to her. He's like, that's right, come after me. 
And uh, the thing dives at her and sends both of them out the back of the truck. And the, the truck continues driving because, I mean, it's an autopilot. And at this point, she's laying in the road while this thing is coming up to get her. And uh, she pulls out two road flares, gives it just enough time to get close enough, breaks the flares, and then shines them into the thing. And about that time, we have all these giant floodlights appear out of nowhere. And it turns out they were close enough to the Safehold City that the Safehold City could turn on their lights outside and basically chase away these giant bat monster things. They are so crazy looking, like very like man batty, but more teeth. It's yeah, it's crazy. Um, in the process of her falling out the back of the truck, she of course lost her helmet, so she picks that up, and puts it back on, and we get to see the full emblem of like the front of her sh- her helmet, and it's this giant ring of light. It's reflective. It's really pretty cool. And she's like, she's reads a sigh of relief because now she's finally home. She's like, yeah. That was the that was super crazy. This I'm so I've never been so happy to be back at the city, and uh, we cut from there to inside. And there's there's a lot of inner monologue explaining what's going on. So I'm gonna bridge most of that. We'll get a shot of the inside of the city, and inside the city is very uh, carnival esque. I mean, there's a giant Ferris wheel, a bunch of little tents that are set up like a marketplace, and just I mean, lots of people. Not like I mean, there's city parts too, but everywhere there's light bulbs all over the place. Giant lights, big lights, floating lights. Uh, glowing like lanterns. And uh, she talked about how this city managed to survive is because it was one of the last towns that was still manufacturing regular light bulbs. And so it already had a bulb plant in it, which is part of why their city managed to survive. She gives an explanation of what those black things are. She does. Earlier on, and that, like, basically, after this darkness happened... um, if you stay in the darkness too long, it starts to infect you, and you become one of those wraith things. And as time has gone on, like everything turns into it: birds, fish, animal, any kind of plants, animal, plants, yeah. even people. And uh, the thing with the people are they're a whole different breed. They're whole they're a whole different thing, and they've started like breeding with one another and crossbreeding and doing things. So they become this bigger, crazier monsters. And uh, the human ones are the most are the worst ones, and they're the big ones. And so she's saying that, like, it starts out with, like, if you're left in the dark too long, it starts to infect you, and, like, the first sign is, like, your gums turn black, start to turn black. Right. And that, with, through dialysis or, like, um, some sort of, like, sun lamp um, treatment, some, like, uh, you can... You can fight off you, the infection. You can, you can beat it, but, uh, but, like, if... But once the gums go completely black, it's too late or something like that. Right. Yeah, they talk about that reversal is not always a uh, guaranteed thing, but it's UV treatments, yeah. Yeah, UV, yeah. So uh, after we get an overview of that, which is what's going on while we're... But the lighters, the UV lights are super rare. Right. What they say, At so. this point, what's left of them is not... Yeah, they're, they're, they're not a common thing to find anymore. So from there, Val goes to pick up her paycheck for the delivering her people. And uh, when she walks into the, uh, the transport office, there's a whole lot of other... Like rogues, guys dressed up in, I don't know, like biker gear and people with full-on helmets and gas masks. And so it turns out she's not the only transporter type because there's a whole bunch of other ones. Of course, they've all heard about her close call outside the walls. And so they're kind of giving her guff about it a little bit. She finally gets up to the front of the line. She's like, ah, tell me there's something left. Because uh, after the damages that were incurred from part of what they had to do, she wound up incurring fines. And so uh, the lady who's behind the, the in charge of paying everyone says, "Well, I wish I could." She's like, Ugh. "What you got left over from it? You you have some change left." So what she was expecting to make money wise, 
is not what she wants to be getting paid. She tells her, I need to get some more jobs. And she's like, well, you've been out too many times, and people have been questioning your brother. Like, he's been out doing things too, and you might want to check on that. And so she's like, well, I, I mean, I need as many jobs as I can get, so I, we got to get out of here because I want to try to get to this other town. And so she takes what little bit she's paid and winds up leaving. And in the process, she gets outside and uh, she gets to, she gets called to by the little girl who's in the back of the truck with the old man. And they're both like, ah, we need somebody to transport us. Um, and she's like, yeah, I don't take single gigs. I don't take individual jobs. I, it's got to be big enough for me to care about doing it. And they're both like, well, we really need transport. You know, we're willing to pay. And she shrugs them off kind of like it's not big enough fish or she doesn't want to deal with them. And so that leaves the old man and, uh, and her to result to trying to convince her more. And she, to, he, they, he, he tells her, I have to show you something. Where we want to go, it's up north. It's, it's a, it's a long, it's a long way, but we need an excellent driver to get us there. West through the Rockies. So basically, like, they were, like, on the, e- the eastern slope of Colorado and, like, they have to go through the Rocky Mountains west right. to get to this place that supposedly has. It says it's a special place. It's supposedly a place of sunlight, and he pulls up his sleeve and he shows her his arm that has this like burn mark on it. It's supposed to be like a sunburn. And they were that they were just there supposedly, right? Which is also which is definitely kind of weird because why are they back this truck then? Because um, they they were in the truck she bring into town. So he shows her her arm. She's like, uh, "Is that supposed to be a sunburn? Is that real?" So she she still shrugs them off, but it's really weird. That that's what you know the what he's looking for, and that they're where they're at at all is weird. And she's she's already on the way to go check on her brother because now she's worried about him. So she basically goes back home. We find out that her brother's the one who's been building the pepper sprays and the the different tools she's been trying to use. He's like, oh, I figured out a way to make it way stronger. They're like plasma flashes and yeah, like, that. like some things that when they explode, that they're like these massive like bright, blinding, Pops crazy. Of light. Yeah, and so that like it supposedly kills like the black things. Yeah, he's like, I told you, my new flash pops were gonna be awesome, and like the ones she used in the middle of all that battle, the ones that worked really good were the were the flash pops. But she's like, ah, yeah, what have you been doing? Like you, you, the people keep saying you've been out late. He's like, oh, you don't have to worry about me. I'm fine. And she's like, well, let let me see. You need to show me. You need to show me your teeth. And so eventually, she gets him to show show her his teeth. And yeah, we see that his gums, um, they are starting to look black. Um, so there's pink in the middle and black right around the teeth. And she's like, we, we need to get you some more treatments. I'm, I'm going to have to get some more money because they, again, those UV bulbs are super expensive. Well, and there was only one light and like, it's gone now or something like that. And so right. he, she's like, like, hurry up, get back on the dialysis machine. And she's like, he's like, I was already on it. And she's like, get back on it anyway. And he's already struggling. So he tells us he's going to work on his, he's going to work on that stuff some more. And part of what she was getting from the uh, from the payment office was a dialysis machine. So she hooks up the new dialysis machine, dialysis machine, and puts him to bed. And uh, then we have her sitting by herself, and she's kind of going back through things that had happened and re- talking about her brother. It's all inner monologue stuff, and we see her light a uh, paper lantern and send it out the window. And from there, she decides to go meet with the old man. Because he told her where to find them. And she shows up and tells him, well, it's it's going to be two of us. And She just says, if you don't have money, like if you're lying oh, to yeah. me, I will kill you myself. Right. But I'll, but I'll take you. And of course, the little girl is super excited because she's like, oh, great. This is going to be awesome. 
And uh, she tells her, yes, you need to get your stuff ready now. Because we're leaving tonight. We're leaving now. And she's like, oh, thank you, Miss Sundog. So she gathers her brother and gathers the truck. And uh, we find out she still has a picture from when she was a kid. Because she's been saving this whole time. And we see her put on her helmet and tell her brother to strap in. And uh, we join the little girl and the, and the man in the back seat. She's like, Grandpa, do you think we're finally safe? He's like, I do. I, I think we're safe. And they all get ready to head out of town. Uh, from there, we go back to the payment office. And we have a shadowed figure walk into the room. Walk up to the front and ding the bell. And uh, the one with the hat, the one who gave her the dialysis machine earlier, is like, ah, sorry, there's no more. She's like, whoa. And we see the front shot of this guy, and all you can see is teeth. Like, normal people teeth, but everything else is completely black. And uh, it's pretty disturbing, really. And all the people take notice of him, too. Yeah, he introduces himself, and he's he, he calls himself Blacktop Bill. And uh, he's asking about Sundog. Well, he asks about I need the I need the tags of that truck that just left with right. the little girl and the old man, and the woman at the office says I don't give out by, by driver's information. Driver information. Like, Sorry, I don't just tell you. And he's like, uh, Yeah, you're gonna. Well, and one of the other guys in the uh, in the building turns to call calls attention to him. And he's like, Yeah, you got a problem with them? You got you gotta have a problem with us. And basically sticking up for her as their their driver union or whatever. And uh, he he explains what he is. He that he's he's like, yeah, you 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 look so like such a mess. And he's like, well, I'm actually a matrix of carbon nanofibers, and I'm not wearing the carbon nanofibers. They're actually bonded to my skin. Yeah, because he's like, oh, your sc- your suit doesn't scare us. He's like, it's not a suit. It's actually like a. It's what I'm actually made of. Yeah, well, he's become he's bonded to his skin. And uh, he grabs a hold of the dude's face, and we see it start melting the guy's face. Yeah, he, like... It's it's crazy. He's like, see? That's what it does when I touch things. And, like, the way his face is burnt looks an awful lot like the old man's arm. Like, it, it, the way the, the way it's shown to us, it, that's what it looks like. And he, then we see the, the, the lady who runs the building closes it down. She shuts down the... She closes the cage. It's got a giant closed written on it. And he's like... I don't have a problem with you or your friends, or your or your friend Val. I have a problem with the old man in her truck. And uh, one of the other ladies in there, one of the other drivers, is like, "Oh, why do why do you want? Why, what did they do?" He's like, "Not nothing to me, darling. To all of us, he's the man that killed his son." So we're gonna hunt him down, right? We're basically, gonna, gonna convince all them to help him. So uh, it's uh, that I mean that's where it ends. Ends. So, uh, apparently the old man is, uh, responsible for blacking out the sun, according to him. And those burns on his arm weren't sun, they were burns from this irradiate, this nanite stuff. So, like, super interesting. Um, there is a lot of reading inside there that, I mean, we abridged a lot of it, because there's a whole lot of explanation, there's a whole lot of talk about her as a kid, and part of why she... Feels at home in this world because as a child she had a disease in her eyes that eventually got fixed. And part of the reason she she was as sad as she was when everything stopped is because it was like she was going back to being blind, going back home. And like that part's really interesting. I mean, I I completely skip that in the explanation, but that's it. That's in there. Art is great. I mean, it's Tony Daniels that drew it, and he's fantastic. I mean, he's done. He did the tenth image. He did. 
a whole bunch of Deathstroke during New 52. Um, and Scott Snyder writing it. I mean, dude, Batman is fantastic. And, and Witches and Undiscovered Country. Dude's awesome. Um, I, I don't necessarily like the end of his Batman. But that's just me. As a thing, book-wise, I mean, I give this thing a four and a half, man. Like, I like it a lot. I, the art's so good, and the characters are really interesting, and the whole, like, the whole world, as messed up as it is, is super cool. And, like, the way people are dressed, like, they're all this sort of scavenger-like. I mean, it's like Mad Max, but not dirty. Which is, I don't know, I think is really cool. But yeah, I give it a four and a half. I mean, this is one I've been telling you guys to check out for the last few episodes, actually. Um, if you get a chance to, the glow-in-the-dark covers have come out now, so, uh, I would say check that out. I mean, uh, it's, they're freaking cool. Uh, Mr. Josh, what do you know? Yeah, um, this book is really cool. It's a really cool idea. Um, the art is insanely beautiful. It fl- It flowed really well. Um, super original story, you know, uh, a lot of interesting little things like reading through the second time, you know, when she's talking about the dirty fingers that she used to fell like, like over her eyes. And she's like, that's where it was. I was at minute 23 when the sky turned full black. I was thinking it followed you. I was thinking it's back for real this time. Like she thinks that like the, the, like she's maybe the one that has something to do with it. Cause the blackness. You know, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of cool, like, you know, and her brother and her are both adopted, and so, you know, but they're still together. Right, even now without the parents around. Yeah, and like, a lot of people love her, like, the way that everybody in the in the place stands up for her, and the way that they put a little bit of, the guy, basically, they talk about so-and-so must like you a lot, because he, you know, he wound for an extra four hours just for you, because they're giving her extra, actually. Right. Because, like, they care about her so much and, like, how much she actually does for her, but how many people she actually saves and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, like, it's just, it's a really cool book. It's really well done. I go to four and a half as well. Um, you know, it's, it was a hard one for me. I think as far as just a straight up comic book, straight up just fictional, like, interesting story, um, most people will like this book a lot more than White Lily. Like, is because it's, I mean, I like the other one because it's such a history driven book. Well, sure, yeah. A lot, this of, one, lot of actual history. Just like the, you know, Blacktop Bill, you know, his explanation, he's like, where he goes, it's actually a matrix of carbon nanotubes and I'm not wearing it. I'm bonded to it, friend. It's a pretty painful process. If you haven't built up a tolerance to the stuff, it'll burn you like hot tar. And he grabs a guy by the face who's st- standing up for her and like, just like burns the crap out of his face. And so he, this guy is like, has bonded himself to this, 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 these chemicals to like give himself these powers. And he's just a shadow, which is weird too, because like the things out there are shadows as well. So I don't, I don't understand that part of it. Makes it seem like maybe part of that is part of what he is. That he, cause early on she talks about how like there's like, like interbreeding has been done with different things to make these people like a certain way and like they make it more powerful or this, that. And so. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm real curious to where it's going to go. Like, I'm really stoked on it. I hope it doesn't fizzle out like other stuff does. You know, like, a lot of times on indie books, we've talked about this before. Sure. And I didn't bring it up on, 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 before now, like, but like, my big worry is that like, cause this one's so well done, I hope it continues and it ends. It doesn't just fizzle out at the end. You're like, ah, oh, geez. Right. Like, it was so cool and then it just like, 
Well, timing-wise, generally but, speaking... But usually image is pretty solid on stuff, you know? Like right. Well, generally speaking, Scott Snyder, for the most part, like, Undiscovered Country is still holding strong, and it's still good, and it's got other twists that are happening in it. They actually announced a couple twists for it this last week. So, like, now, granted, that is a co-written book, so it's not just him. But as a thing, generally speaking, his, his stories don't fall flat, usually. And, like, when I, when I referenced Batman earlier, like, I just don't like the end of that particular New 52. I don't like the ending. It's not bad. It's just me. I've been told I'm wrong plenty of times. So, a- as a thing, his other stories, like Metal, Death Metal, Last Night on Earth, all fantastic. And, like, even before that, before he was popular, he wrote Black Mirror, um, also for DC. It was Detective Comics Black Mirror, back when Dick Grayson was Batman. And that was great. So, like, I, I don't think that will be a problem. And, like, Tony Daniels, as long as he stays on it, the book will be fantastic. Because the dude doesn't lose a step. He is so good. Art-wise, yeah. And, and the variant covers on this are really cool, too. There was a Jock cover, and Jock I'm hit or miss with a lot. I liked his cover. There uh, there was a there's a variant um, Great Capullo cover, and it looks awesome. Uh, there's another one by Superlog, and it's great. Uh, the Glow in the Dark, like I said, the Glow in the Darks just came out. Um, they were released two weeks later, and like they're, I mean, it's the same image as the regular cover, but with glowy parts, which is really cool. Um, as far as the chase incentives, I mean, those were cool too. None, none of the covers were bad. This thing is actually on the second print, also, so uh, the second print cover looks really cool too. But yeah, I could easily see it turning into some kind of crazy thing, especially with like how Netflix is doing all these sci-fi's. If it doesn't, I'd be surprised. And this is one that originally started as a Kickstarter as well. Like, originally him and Tony Daniels did it as a Kickstarter, and the book just got so big that now here it is as a regular book. So, that's also awesome. Yeah, dig it a lot. Uh, anything else about Noctera? No. All right. Uh, what'd you learn today, Josh? What did I learn today? Uh-huh. Um, I don't I didn't really learn anything, man. Uh, you know, I don't always learn stuff. Sometimes I just, you know, just know everything. That's just kind of the thing sometimes. I know that you learn stuff. If you listened, I guess I'll say this. I learned that most of the time when I talk about history stuff, you don't listen, so you don't you don't always learn. But I think that maybe you learned about what the who the Night Witches were tonight. I will give you. I've never heard of the Night Witches before, but the female pilots, because I've talked to the, the fellow who wrote this book, I had heard about before, but not the Night Witches in particular. So I did learn about the Night Witches. That's a pretty good thing to learn. It's yeah. interesting. All right. Uh, well, some books to watch. Um, as far as like suggestions in the world, we're going to have uh, Justice League Academy come out, I want to say, next week. And uh, if you read the, uh, not Justice League, Teen Titans Academy, my gosh, uh, it comes out next week. Um, it's written and drawn by the same people who did the uh, Future State Teen Titans. I think that'll be freaking awesome. Um, as far as, like... Uh, other books, we, there's a couple of cool ones that are in the new, well, in this month's previews catalog that I'm I'm sort of stoked about. One of them, so I actually, so last week I think is when I got it. I got an email from uh, Roy Mc, McConville, and uh, Roy and Declan De, De Shelby have both made themselves a new book um, at Image, going to come out in I think May called Time Before Time. Um, so Roy sent me a copy of the book, um, I got to read it. I like time travel weirdness, so I thought it was freaking great. 
Um, but Tim and Declan Shelby, Shelby writing it. Uh, Joe Palmer's doing the art and, uh, Chris O'Halloran. Uh, Time Before Time, it, the basic pitch for it is that in the future, of course, the world's a mess. And if you are willing to sell your whole life savings to hit an astronomical amount of money, there's a company that will time travel you back in time to set you up a place to live in the past where it is much nicer worldwise. And uh, our main character is a fellow who is a transporter working for this company that uh, elects that he wants to get out. And that's basically the short pitch for it. Eventually there's an FBI lady, and it's, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty good. I liked it a lot. Um, so th- I, that thing I think is awesome. Uh, I'd say watch for it because it's also another one that's built in a way that could easily become something. And then, uh, there's another one that's coming out from, uh, Garth Enos, which generally speaking, Garth, I'm, I'm hit or miss with. Like some people love him. I mean, he's just like Grant Morrison. Like either he's a winner or he's not. So he's got one coming out from AWA, um, which is called Marjorie Finnegan. Temporal criminal. And, uh, as a thing, like the setup for it is basically she's a thief through time. And, uh, she's managed to get herself tracked by the time police. And now it's a matter of escaping them and not getting caught. So, sort of like a heist, but a time travel heist, which makes it a time heist, which is awesome because of Ant Man. Uh, anyway, it looks really cool. I mean, AWA has put out some pretty good books. That's the, uh, artist writer, artisan company. And, uh, like I said, Garth Enos, his Punisher stuff was always great. There's some other stuff he's done that I'm not such a fan of, but that's just like everybody else. So I think this thing looks awesome. Uh, again, it's another time travely type book. So I'm kind of predisposed to like those, I guess. Uh, but yeah, those would be the ones I suggest as far as things. I mean, like I said, Teen Titans is going to come out, and it looks awesome. Um, that's all I really got suggestion-wise at this point. I mean, I do think some of that Heroes Reborn stuff is going to be cool, so I guess we'll see what happens with it. Um, but that's basically it. Um, Josh, you got anything else over there? No, man. All right. Uh, social media stuff. Uh, you want to see my drawings, you can look at uh, Instagram at Top5ComicsCBS on Instagram. If you don't already follow the show, it also has an Instagram. So Top 5 Comics Podcast on Instagram. Uh, Josh, your Instagram where? Wendell24. W-I-N-D-L-E 24. And uh, you can go look in for all, all the stuff we do stuff for. You can go over to Top5ComicsPodcast.com where you can find links to this show, to the Never Been Done Podcast, or other podcasts about movies, pop culture, and crazy. Um, uh, the... Scovillionaires has a link over there. Some buddies that do hot sauce reviews. We have our links for uh, Action Figure Deconstruction. It's the Action Figure Breakdown show we do. And you can find links for all that stuff over on the website. Um, I think that's basically it. Um, as we're recording this, really, well, actually, I, as this the, the day this comes out, I do believe the Snyder Cut will have just dropped or it's has ju- dropped really soon to this, so right hour wise because this is the evening. I have not seen it yet, um, but I guess there are two versions, both coming out. One one's black and white, and one is not black and white. So, but they're both coming out simultaneously, and you could you're you're going to be able to watch one or the both. You know, both. And choose where you watch. That's cool. So, um, okay. I did see early reviews on it. It's like seventy five percent on Rotten Tomato. 
which is pretty high for a DC film because I think the original got 28, I want to say, or 28 or 48, one of the two. I looked the other day and I was like, wow, it was a significant jump. So it was either like 25 points or 50 points, one or the other. It was like a pretty huge jump. Yeah, that's pretty good. uh, Cool. Well, if you're an HBO Maxer, then you should watch that. I mean, make sure they plan to have four and a half hours because it's going to be a lot of material. So, but yeah, I've, I've heard good things too, review wise. I mean, it's like the first weeks of reviews were great. The second week of reviews were, I don't know, middle of the road, I guess, from the early reviewers. But, uh, yeah, from what I've, what we've seen so far, most people are pretty pleased with it, at least. So I guess we'll see. I mean, like I said, it drops through the U.S., um, tonight. So here in a few hours. And by then, I mean, this, this show will be, well, I don't know if the show will be up yet or not. So by the time you're hearing this, you probably already watched it. So whatever, good for you. <laughs> Just, I mean, but like, like, post, comment, share. Oh rate, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Like, be super. If you helpful. listen to podcasts and you're listening to this, and you don't already follow us on one of those, like the platforms, follow it, and that helps on things. Um, listens, shares. Like, if you listen to this and you like it, obviously, one of your friends probably like th- similar things that you do. I certainly hope so. So t- tell them to take a listen. Um, yeah. Just, uh, that's what I got on that. Just, like, help us out. Yeah, support. Right on, man. With Taki? Nope. Oh, come on, dude. Never. <laughs> <laughs>